You know what's really annoying? Mm. So my copy of this book is messed up. I don't know if it's just my copy or this run in general and other people have the same problem, but random pages are printed really weird and a lot of the pages are like there's too much of a space in the middle. Mm, printer errors in I don't, general? Well, I don't know if it's a printer error or a binding error. Yeah. I don't know enough about the process to know, but it is an error. And so now sometimes since there's more room on the inner oh, corner, I like, write notes in that side. Yeah. That means whenever I flip through preemptively to see how much I have thoughts because when I some chapters I have a lot of thoughts. Some I only have a few that absolutely need to be shared. Um, but when I flip through, I go, "Oh, I didn't really think of much this time." And then we'll be in the middle of podcast. I'll be like, "I totally forgot I had thoughts about this," and it really is annoying. And you'd think that would mean twenty nine chapters in, I would start writing on the other side. No, no, I'm still <laughs> gonna put it in the middle. There's more space there. I can do double sided no, double sentences instead of one. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Bingtown Convergence, chapter 29. 29? We start with Cirilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to Cirilla and kind of get our thoughts on things. Remember we had talked about last chapter that time has passed. So time has indeed passed for Cirilla as well. Yes. She is still in the satraps cabin and kind of running the show there and just to know on our end do we know how long this journey has taken is this like two months long three months something like the all couple of months, summer a couple months maybe yeah i don't know okay exactly because i feel like we probably get a good estimate from wintrow's point of view when he first goes from bingtown to jamalia and i think mm-hmm. it's a month or two okay but i don't remember exactly because I was thinking, I feel like there's been two of those in-chapter season changes that mm. Hob does since they've been on the boat, but I, it could have only been one. Either way, I think it's safe to say more than a month, right? Yeah. It, this will become important in a few in a page and a half, so just why I'm setting that tone. <laughs> so Cirilla is thinking about and describes that other ships have joined them on the way, and She's kind of wondering how this all happened, how it was all planned, because more Chalcedian ships are joining them. How long had this all been in planning? Did anyone in Jamalia know this show of force accompanied the satrap as he descended upon Bingtown? She was now almost sure that the satrap would be sacrificed to justify a Chalcedian attack on Bingtown. She clutched that morsel of knowledge to herself as if it were a gold nugget. To warn the old traders might be her surest way of buying their trust of her. If she had any loyalties left, they now belonged to the wondrous place she had studied for years. So that's a little bit of insight to kind of how she's thinking. One, that she's still trying to gain as much upper hand and leverage as possible because her survival is reliant upon that. Right. Two, still incredibly naive and hopeful about Bingtown because that's her only light at the end of the corridor kind of thing, right? This is it's right. this wondrous magical place that's going to fix all of her problems if she can convince them. Right. And 
I find it very interesting, her idyllic version of Bangtown, mostly because it gives the impression that she has never been around groups of people before, Yeah, which kinda. I guess she's a scholar technically, mm-hmm. right? Not that I'm saying scholars don't go near people, but her Heart role. Companion. Yeah, she yeah. probably stayed mostly in the palace or the palace grounds. So it just, because I, I say that because I think it's natural for groups to, sure, they may share a common goal, but. To fracture into little like. Yeah. yeah. Subgroups. It just, Mm -hmm. I think is human nature. And so the fact that she doesn't even have a worry about this happening or even the fact that they're known for their loyalties and they've given their word and there's no way some of the Bingtown traders would be thinking about going back on their word. And of course they're going to hold her in high regard because they obviously hold strong loyalty to Jamalia without really taking into consideration how bad things would have gotten for them mm-hmm. and how different the just society is at the moment. It's, I, she, I just find it very naive. Like you said, she does imply in here that she understands that they might not have the most trust in her immediately. And that's why right. she would have to buy their trust with that knowledge. But yeah, it, I agree with you. It's still a very, idyllic way of looking at things. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think it just really stuck out to me this chapter. I've thought it a couple times, but it wasn't a strong enough thing. And now maybe it sticks out more because we know that it doesn't go the way that she has planned. Mm-hmm. And it, and they're much more fractured and she tries too hard at certain things. Yeah. And I think it also just made me feel really sorry for her because clearly this is a reaction to what has happened on this ship. Yeah. And, I think I would feel bad for her even if nothing horrible had happened on this ship because I think she has so much faith in Bingtown. She has romanticized the Bingtown traders and Bingtown in general to the point where it can never live up to the expectations. It's an exotic place that she has studied for a long time that has homogenous views on everything, Mm -hmm. right, in her mind. (laughs) Right. So I I think that is already a little bit something that I pity. I don't know if pity is the right word, but I feel bad. That she gonna get a reality is, check. Yeah, because like <laughs> I don't know. It's I feel I feel bad whenever people have a strong interest in something and it doesn't live up to the hype. And so I don't know. I think it's even worse now because of how much you can kind of tell that she's gripping onto that fantasy for reasons of horrible things having happened to her mm-hmm. of like it has to be better and it will be better and it's going to go great because I won't be here and I think that makes it more sympathetic speaking of horrible things happening she's called away because a sailor comes and says hey the satrap wants you wants to come out too and she's like well his health is too delicate and remember she's the one who's kind of keeping him in delicate health at the moment yes but she's thinking about how she can't seem like she's gaining too much control or power because the captain is still on board, obviously. And she is still terrified of him. Right. And can't even muster up any hatred or other strong emotion besides that terror. And so she just kind of is moving around him at the moment and gaining what she can. So she goes to the satrap's chambers, as she is called. Right. No, it is a really sad reminder of what has happened. And she is really trying to 
muster up that hate of anything would be better than being this afraid of the captain. And though I think what makes it worse is that he doesn't care and also yeah. finds it funny mm-hmm. and has like laughed in her face at her scared reaction. So that just makes it worse. It's just not a good situation. Again, mm-hmm. we can see why she's idealizing when she's going to meet the Bingtown traders. Right. But as she goes back to the room, she she notices that everything is clean, put in place, which is a stark contrast to the last time she entered the satraps chambers mm-hmm. with us. And she notes that the cleaning people have been there and done their job and it makes it just much more enjoyable for her. She also mentions there's a platter of sliced meat and a pudding of steamed fruit and several flats of unleavened bread to accompany it. There's also red wine and simple food. I wanted to specifically bring this up because they have been traveling. Like I said at the beginning, a month or more. Where is this sliced meat coming from? Where is all this food coming from? Because on all the other ships, I think there have been multiple mentions of how tired you get of eating on ship because there's no good food. It just doesn't store well. You eat the ship tack. Even the captain doesn't really get frivolous meals all the time. And this feels like a regular occurrence the way she's explaining it. Well, one, this is the set trap. So they're going to give them, you know, bring on all the foods that they can Two. You salt the meats, right? Salt is a preservative, and that's sure. fairly common in the past. So it's probably just heavily salted, and then the cook heats it up or something and has, I don't know, maybe like a sauce with it or something. Right. So that's what I'm assuming. It's just okay. specifically brought on for this pleasure cruise kind of thing because in other scenarios that we've been in, they're traders, so they need cargo mm. hold. They need space for that, and they can't bring barrels of preserved delicacies as uh, Cirilla goes into later. Right. Um, so I, I'm assuming it's just something like that where the extra space can be taken up with whatever the satrap wanted brought along. Okay, yeah, that's a good point, I guess. So yeah, and she also does mention that... She's bef- not taking risks. She isn't taking risks. So before, when we when we were with this crew, a lot of people were getting sick and one person even died. And it was only the people that were part of the satrap's party that were mm-hmm. eating his food. So the satrap thought that he was being poisoned. However, Cirilla doesn't think that's the case. She thinks that the food has gone bad because he has so many weird delicacies. And there's just no way that it's staying shelf safe <laughs> um, in the belly of a ship. So she, this meal that was described is more of a simple meal in comparison to what everybody else was eating before and she has not gotten sick and neither has the rest of the crew. So that's, she's pretty confident that Mm -hmm. it wasn't any ill intention. It was just spoiled food, which is gross that they wouldn't have noticed that it was spoiled, (laughs) (laughs) but I guess they had a lot of pleasure herbs. (laughs) There's also on a smaller tray, the satraps meal. So she's also kind of uh, ordering and providing food for the satrap in his sickness, quote unquote, So it's just like mashed stuff, some bread and broth that is going to be, the bread's going to be soaked in the broth and it's going to be all mushy, just stuff to feed someone who's basically on their deathbed or can't chew. Steamed (laughs) onions and turnips mashed together. And I'm being honest. Doesn't sound awful. I would eat it. 
I maybe I not every I day. Eat it for like two weeks in a row, yeah. But I would probably eat it. <laughs> she does seem to mention that they're not seasoning the mashed food, so maybe I really wouldn't eat it. But <laughs> nonetheless, it doesn't sound that bad. She does say that she had stopped seasoning his food with the medics two days ago. It would not do to have him too weak when he arrived in Bingtown. She smiled, pleased with herself, and sat down to her meal. He should rally briefly before he died. And so, he calls out then, uh, sickly and weakly, Cirilla, are you there? And she's just says, yeah, I'm here. Wait until I'm done. And she, he's like, okay. <laughs> she specifically considers not answering. And then is like, mm, I she, should be nice to him because he's gonna die soon she decided to be kind and answers decided to be kind by answering although she does still make him wait till she Mm -hmm. leisurely finishes her meal she ate at her leisure she had trained him to be patient the servants were barred from this chamber save once a day when they came to tidy Uh, under her particular supervision she allowed him no other visitors his health was far too delicate she told him It had not taken much effort to inflate his fears of death to a stultifying level. A substantial number of his party had died from this illness. Even Cirilla had been appalled at the toll it had taken. She believed she was quite safe from whatever it had been, but she had filled the satrap's head with the idea that the disease still ran rampant on the ship. It had not been hard. The more she restricted his food and dosed him with poppy syrup, the more tractable he became. When his eyes were wide and wandering, whatever she told him became his truth. When she had first taken over caring for him, the others had been too ill to visit him, let alone intervene. Since they had recovered, she had successfully turned them back at the door. It was the satrap's order that he not be disturbed. Cirilla had had the spacious chamber to herself, save for the bed the satrap occupied. She had been quite comfortable. So we learn here that, yes... As time has passed, others have died now, and it's been quite a high toll. But Cirilla still believes it's just from the bad food, and other people seem to have gotten over it now, and it's been fine. But she has been keeping the sad trap isolated, drugged, and underfed. So he is very easily agreeable to his captive at the moment. Right. And believes anything that she tells him. Yeah, it's... She's, uh, yeah, she's going for it. <laughs> she is. Going and it's a little hard. overboard here. Yeah, it's hard because on the one hand, it's a little horrifying. But on the other hand, it's not like the satrap was a good person. No, right. Like, he wasn't a good person, but it is horrifying what she is doing. Yeah, for sure. She's really going to the extreme. And obviously, it's for that sense of control. It's for that sense of protection that she's giving herself. And I don't know, it's... You can really tell that she has created an own narrative, her own narrative. Yeah. And she just is in this little bubble of this is what's going to happen next. This is what we're doing. Everything is fine. So she goes over to the satrap and studies him and thinks, perhaps I've gone too far. His skin was pallid. His face was almost skeletal from lack of flesh. The bony hands that rested atop the coverlet twitched from time to time. That was nothing new. His indulgence in pleasure drugs had done that to him years ago. It was only their feebleness that made them look like dying spiders, she decided. And she says, oh, you're looking so much better. Shall we get some food into you? Please. He smiled up at her fondly. 
He was convinced she was the only one who had stood by him, the only one he could rely on. She winces back from his foul breath, and he had complained yesterday that some of his teeth felt loose. Well, he would probably recover swiftly enough. Or not. He just had to live long enough to get her ashore in Bingtown and ingratiated with the traitors. She did not want him to be so strong that he could contradict her account. Anything unfortunate that he said, she intended to attribute to his wandering mind. So she's just placating him, feeding him food, like, oh, we'll be in Bingtown tomorrow. Isn't that good? Yeah. And in her mind thinking, well, all he has to do is be there, say that, yeah, she's part of my retinue and then die. And she doesn't care. Yeah. He just has to give her credibility. Mm -hmm. It's a little rough. I don't know. I it's again, I feel very conflicted about it because he is a bad person and he doesn't treat other people like they are people, especially women. And what she had to deal with was horrendous and it was nothing to him. He literally did not care. So it's really hard to be like, oh, she shouldn't do that to him. She should be nicer because it's kind of like, well, <laughs> if he wanted people who liked yeah, him and were nice. He's still a character in a book, right? You yeah. You still again, be like, ha, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Absolutely. You Definitely got yours, fictional. villain. <laughs> the fictional aspect makes it a lot easier to root for her in this instance. <laughs> so we caught up with them a little bit, but now we jump over to Ronica. And this is jumping right in the middle of, oh my gosh, there is an emergency meeting called for the old traders. It has not happened for a long time. What is going on? Right. The bell is tolling and it's really early morning slash late night, depending. Mm -hmm. There are traders coming in both their night clothes and the clothes from the night before. So it's just this weird hour of the night. Yeah, so all of them are like coming out. Of course, it's an emergency, they do, so they don't bother dressing up for it or anything. Right. They're all rushing out. They get picked up by a wagon. Everyone's kind of driven or herded to the steps outside of the old trader's council's hall where somebody uh, is saying like, oh, it has to be the blood plague. You know, why else would they ring this? And there's a bunch of like fear mongering about different possibilities. Right. I did want to touch on that part a little bit. Because Ronica says she can't remember the last time the bell was rang. And then for people to be like, oh, obviously it's the blood plague being back. That was kind of weird because it's like, well, if they rang it the first time. I don't think they would have rang it the first time. Okay. So maybe I, I think just... it was such a devastating thing that just kind of a sickness swept through. Right. That if there was a second of count of it, then the emergency bell would be like, we got a problem. <laughs> Lock <laughs> your <back>. doors. <laughs> Smear Fair. the lamb's blood, you know? Yes. <laughs> So everybody's panicking. Nobody knows what's going on. And it's really interesting to see this from Ronica's perspective because she's an adult and she really has this calmness about her. It's, Clearly, It's frantic writing. Yeah. But it's not a lot of Ronica's thoughts besides the first couple lines of like, can't recall when this had last happened. You yeah. Know? But I think that's why I feel like she's so calm. Yeah. Because it's more just observing mm -hmm. the chaos around her. Well, eventually, Trader Larfa steps up and bellows for attention. He was the owner of the live ship Winsome, a man usually steady to the point of dullness. This morning, his cheeks were glowing red with excitement. He says, I rang the bell. 
Listen to me, all of you. There isn't time to enter the hall and convene properly. I've already passed the word to every live ship in the harbor, and they've gone out to face them. Invaders! Chalcedian war galleys. My boy saw them at first light and came to wake me up. I sent him to the west wall to rouse the other live ships. I don't know how many galleys are out there, but it's more than ten. They mean business. So this is what people see in Bingtown, this huge escort of Chalcedian warships that are escorting the satrap, because it's right. all on Chalcedian ships, are coming to a foreign harbor, and everyone in Bingtown's like, the Chalcedians have been on us for generations. Mm-hmm. This is war. Right. Well, notably, I don't think anybody knew that the satrap was supposed to be coming to them. Like, I don't think they sent word ahead. Yeah, I like, I mentioned that with uh, Devadra's start before, because yes. he seemed like everything was cleaning up. And I still kind of think he does, but he doesn't speak up in this Right. This thing here, so. And that's the weird part to me, that if there was notice sent, even just to the new traders. Ronica doesn't mention him all, and usually she mentions him if he's at those meetings. So maybe maybe he just, he couldn't get his servants out of bed in time. I guess maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Or no one woke him up. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) That's a funny thought. No. um, This scene is... So interesting. I I especially love the chaos that follows the announcement by Larfa about like, well, how many are there? What's going on? And he's like, I don't know. I, I came here. You. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I told you what I know. I find that so funny because that's so real. But I did also want to quickly mention that Trader Larfa was the second person to offer to help bring Paragon out to the yeah. ocean or mm-hmm. to the sea. Um, so just in case anybody that was not that long ago, two chapters ago, but I just thought that was cool that here he is again. And we get to know a little bit more detail about mm-hmm. the captain of the winsome. It was last chapter, wasn't it? No. Two One chapters before. ago? Last chapter was about Kenneth. Mm, right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, all these questions are peppering in and then they ask, you know, what about our children? And the answer is, if they're old enough to tote a bucket, bring them with you. Leave the smallest ones here with the old and crippled. They'll have to look after each other. Come on. Selden, of course, has tears rolling down his cheeks and his eyes were huge. Go into the concourse, Selden, Kefria told him in a falsely cheerful voice. We'll be back for you soon. Shan't, he declared in a brittle little voice. I'm big enough to carry a bucket. He took back a frightened sob and crossed his arms defiantly on his chest. Malta will be with you, Kefria offered desperately. She can help take care of the babies and old people. I'd rather carry a bucket, Malta declared sourly as she took Selden's hand in hers. For a moment, she looked and almost sounded like Althea. We're not going to hide here and wonder what is going on. Come on, Selden, let's go. So Malta, of course, wants to help get down where the uh, everything is going on. Right. I do. I do want to say that... Selden is not beating the crying child allegations. Oh, no, he is just tears <laughs> rolling down his cheeks. Which, He's... you know what? As a fellow crier, good for you, Selden. You can cry and still do it all. <laughs> what is he doing, though? What I is mean, he... <laughs> uh, carrying a bucket of water. <laughs> well, he says he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> He's standing up and asserting his feelings, go. and that yeah. is important. <laughs> oh, Selden. But anyway, Malta is... Compared to Althea here. (laughs) Yes, it is compared to Althea here, which I have been saying, I think, 
Yeah, I think. And so I think we all have. But they are very similar. They're just walking different paths. And especially with Ronica being like, whoa, that was almost like Althea. It really made me wonder, what if Malta got to be on a ship when she was young? Would she be more independent like Althea and less thinking of women in traditional roles? Or would she still think that there's a specific role for the woman? I feel like... She might... I mean, her interest doesn't seem to be in ships at all, so... She might just not have taken to it. Maybe she'd be more independent, but I think she would, she wouldn't be like a, I want to be a sailor kind of person. Right. Well, I think she would have really liked the merchant aspect. I think she really likes people and the Mm -hmm. like manipulation and relationships between people. Yeah. I could see that. But yeah, you're right. She probably wouldn't enjoy the sailor aspect as much. (laughs) Well, uh, there's still questions obviously. And Larfa is trying to direct people still after those questions have been shouted out and he says get word to the three ships families someone take word to the new traders council and we can see division still in an emergency setting like this because right. somebody shouts and says as if they would care let them watch out for themselves it's their fault we have chelsideans in the harbor in the first place someone else shouts and larfa speaks up for the good of all bingtown saying that there's no time for that bingtown is what counts not when like it's not when we got here It's our city all together. We all need to stand together for this. So they take up a cry for Bingtown and people start heading out. Yeah. To be fair, I am on the side of the guy who's like, let the new traders take care of themselves. (laughs) Um, Mostly because they brought in slavery. And I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, that's on them. They can figure it out. But also, you don't really want them messing up your plans. So I guess it's better to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Also, I want to know how did nobody else run to the traders building? Because they're ringing a really loud bell. Clearly everyone in town can hear it. So how is it literally only the traders meeting up? Because that bell hasn't rung in since Ronica can remember. Why wouldn't people be curious and just go see what's going on? Yeah. Maybe there are some on the outskirts. That's fair. But I guess, would Ronica care to tell us? No, yeah. probably not. Not in this situation. But I guess it is good that they're like, let's make sure we tell other people, <laughs> not just we'll take care of it. That's, right. you know, good for them, I guess. <laughs> oh, also, I think um, later on in the chapter, I was thinking more about the Devad thing. He's on one of the ships that meets them. And yes. they've already mentioned that all the live ships have left. So I think he was down there already. So that's why I think he knows okay. as well. He made himself like ready available. that day. Yeah, yeah. So he could meet the people out there. Okay. But anyways, uh, Ronica's looking around and seeing, you know, women and daughters matter of factly ripping up their skirts so they can march after their husbands and brothers more easily. And they catch a cart ride down and it's just... There's an excitement in the air, obviously, and they catch this cart and there's three young men who leaped in after them. One had a pitted sword at his hip. They were all grinning like maniacs. Their eyes were bright, their movements swift and powerful like young bulls ready to challenge one another. They smiled wide at Malta who glanced at them and looked aside. The cart started with a jolt and Ronica seized hold of the edge. They began the trip down to Bingtown. So everything is kind of exciting for this young generation and we we've seen rumblings of that with 
Rain and Greg a little bit, organizing mm-hmm. things with, um, especially next book, I believe a lot of the younger generation right. is part of that kind of revolutionary mindset and wants to free themselves of everything. And uh, I believe his name is Rode, Rode Karn or something, who kind of attaches himself to Cirilla and is like the dangerous young man that Malta talks about early in this book. Mm. He's like part of that younger generation and they're all trying to like gain power and stuff. And they see this, this fighting attitude here, this fight ahead of them. And they're like, this is our chance. Yeah. So everything's kind of, um, I, I view it through Ronica's eyes here as she's kind of like, oh, this is it's just going to go horribly no matter what right. happens. And she's looking around and seeing these young men kind of excited. Yeah. And there's definitely that sense of, Again, the naivety, I think, of young people to just grasp onto the, oh, this is an adventure and we get to act on all those things we've been talking about. And like the Chalcedians are these big enemy that have been demonized probably all these kids lives. So, of course, they're excited to finally get to fight them and show them who's boss and not really... I don't think there's any sense of them thinking to, oh, a lot of people could die. And Mm -hmm. this, if it is a fight, it's not going to be easy and not everybody's going to come out. And even if they do survive, there's going to be so much wreckage and so much hurt after. And I, it's just that sense of adventure. I think at this Mm -hmm. point of like, oh, something's happening. And like you said, they're, they're excited to capitalize on that. And they've been talking and I feel like, this generation is really excited about the politics of we could become independent. We could be our own nation. Mm -hmm. Like this is so cool. And here it is. We've been talking all this time and we get to do more action. I don't know. I just, I think it's really interesting too, that they have that. And I like the little stream of naivety in different ways throughout this chapter. I want to think before we move on with the next part, I think I'm kind of thinking ahead to um, the Rainwild Chronicles. Yeah. I believe Hest would be around that same age, like the younger 20s right now. Because I Mm. think in the Rainwild Chronicles, he's 30s. Okay, yeah. So I think like he's, you know, maybe mid-20s now, kind of in that revolutionary stage. And Cedric is probably maybe around Serwin's age-ish, like 19 these are guesses, obviously. Right. And I think Alice would be maybe be like 16 or something like that. So she's like around Malta's age, a little older. I think older than Malta, but not by much. I don't remember her age exactly. And we'll get to that, obviously, in, you know, four years or something. But <laughs> yeah, I I, I want to think that at least Hest is kind of around that kind of things are happening age right now. That yeah. revolutionary kind of... We have it because I know Rainwild Chronicles fleshes out a little bit more of society from a different point of view than the yeah. Vestrits who remove themselves from that. Right. Uh, and the Trells who Brashen is forcibly removed from that. <laughs> so we don't see much of this, their society until a little bit of views through Alice, Cedric and Hest. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I think the views we get right now are more critical of society, although there is criticism through the other views in the Rainwild Chronicles, for sure. I think it's more overall accepting because it's, like you said, something they participate in. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The vestrits are poor, so they're very far removed from those parties and gatherings and things that Malta wants right. to be a part of. Right. So. so yeah, that is a good yeah. point to think about where these other characters are at this moment. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. They they also could be younger because it could be. Yeah. I like I don't know how much time is between now and then. It's really hard because the next time we see like Althea and Brash and they have a child that's all, like right. five, but it takes a long time to have a baby, you know, like it's, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. necessarily happen right away. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I think there is like a, a, you can piece and puzzle together a time skip or a time jump right? of about how many years. Cause I think they mention you know, seasons that the dragons are there. Right. But uh, I haven't done it yet. So that's fair. And to be fair with the, next trilogy through Fitz's point of view, I don't really think those books are more than a few years. I don't think it's like 10 years represented in the book. So I don't know. But anyway, I just wanted to kind of bring that up as a touchstone. (laughs) Yes. But as they're driving this cart down to Bingtown, they see a clearing and there's a ship out there that is flying the Jamalian standard. Another of the young men says that doesn't mean anything. The cowardly buggers just want to get in close before they attack, and Ronica silently agrees with that. And she sees a sickly smile bloom on Malta's face and asks her if she's alright. She feared her granddaughter was about to faint. Malta laughed a thin, near-hysterical sound. It's so stupid. All this week I've been sewing on my dress, thinking about rain and the flowers and lights and dancing— Last night, I could not sleep because my slippers displeased me so. And now, I've a feeling that none of it may ever come to be. She looks over everything. She spoke with a quiet fatalism. Everything in my life that I was sure I would do someday has always been snatched away when it was almost within my reach. Perhaps it will happen again. A far look came into her eyes. Perhaps by tomorrow we shall all be dead and our town a smoking ruin. Perhaps my presentation will never even be. Don't say such things, Kefria exclaimed in horror. Ronica said nothing at all for a time, then she set her hand over Malta's where she gripped the side of the cart. This is today, and this is your life. They were comfortless words, and she was not sure where they came from. It is my life also, she added and looked ahead of them, far down the winding road to Bingtown. Am I the only one who read that and was like, thanks. <laughs> okay, Ronica. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, she knows they're comfortless. She yeah, knows that they're not like true. actually doing anything. She's just like, that's it. That's what this, we got. This I can't, is life, baby. I can't lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. And I get it. Like, she's not wrong. You know what I mean? And that is... It is a good way to look at things of like, well, you can't really hope for better or dream about the what ifs because this is life and that's what you got. Right. So I get it. But also reading it. Okay, thanks. (laughs) I guess that's my take. But I do feel a little bad for Malta here. I think we get to see she is acting her age, which is good (laughs) yeah i I like this view of her actually because Mm -hmm. it shows the mix of fatalism and maturity that we have seen flashes from her Mm -hmm. but also that like kid mentality still 
Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do like it a lot. I also like the sneaky little, I was thinking of rain in there mm-hmm. because I don't think this is an act. I don't think that she is manipulating this scenario so she can no. put on a show. Yeah. She is dramatic and she does love a good book moment where she can be like, <laughs> Oh, I'm a True. damsel. But I don't think this is in depthly planned. I don't think. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that she is thinking about rain. So maybe there are some deeper feelings there that she hasn't necessarily think, acknowledged to herself. Yeah. I think we've talked about that and yeah. I think we both agree that there are, mm-hmm. but she doesn't want there to be cause it's not like in the stories. Right. Right. And it's, he might be an ugly monster. And he might be an ugly monster. Speaking of, though. The ugly monster. Speaking of the ugly monster, we <laughs> jump <toad>. over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's David Restart. Um, <laughs> with his wattles of flesh. <sighs> but Rain is standing on deck of the Kendry, another live ship. And remember, yes. this is um, a few weeks, probably, after maybe a week or two after he talked to his mother and had that whole deal go down so he can have travel privileges mm-hmm. to his beloved. Although does he really get it? Because he's going for the summer ball, which was always the plan. Yeah. But I think he's going a little bit early too. Mm, okay. You know, and it's not right. with his family, which they would all be going to fair enough. The fair thing enough. as well. So yeah. Also, Maybe more importantly, this is the Kendry, which is the hot one. (laughs) (laughs) The first ever live ship, but also the hot one, because that's what I think Althea said about the first ever. Oh, you're right. The the first known live ship to the old traders, right? I thought that was uh, Rings Gold. Oh, maybe I've just I confuse a lot of these. Kendry was the one uh, who you likened to Barrel Guy, I think. Because yeah. he was kind of rude to Paragon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I guess I thought I was confused. But I also, when I first started reading this, thought that Kendry was the one that is in the next, the Rainwild Chronicles. Um, that the Tarman. Tarman. The, yeah. The raft. Uh huh. I thought this was the Tarman. I don't know why. I uh, know that's the first ever. Yes, live that's show. the very first yeah. live show. But I, for some reason, thought that <laughs> this was the Tarman, and I was like. Ha oh, sick. <laughs> no, it's Kendry, the hot one, barrel guy, aka barrel guy. The very charismatic, la- affable one <laughs> and makes a joke with everybody. Yes. But he's on deck of this live ship heading down towards Bingtown and it is carrying them down the river at an incredible rate. So he's kind of trying to calm himself. He's trying to lift the heaviness from his heart, he says, but it would not go away. He's very down this chapter, mm-hmm. this section. Yeah. Well, to be fair, he's also very sleep deprived. Yes. Sliding his hands up under his veil, he scrubbed at his sandy eyes. Deep sleep seemed like a nursery tale from his childhood. He wondered if he would ever sleep well again. You look like I feel, a voice said quietly. Rain startled and turned, and there is Greg Tanira. But you shouldn't, he continued. Are you not to be Malta Vestrit's escort at the summer ball? What is there to sigh about in that? Very little, Rain assured him. He plastered a smile onto his face. I share her concerns for her father and their missing ship. That is all. But it is a heavy concern. 
I had hoped that her presentation ball would be a wholly festive occasion. I fear this will overshadow it. If it's any comfort, the Kendry brought me word that the rescue expedition has already left Bingtown. Ah, I heard your name linked with Althea Vestritz. This word comes directly from her, then? And uh, Rain saw Greg fold a little scroll of parchment into his sleeve or his pocket or whatever. And right. he nods at that. And Greg confirms and he's like, yeah, it was a farewell missive. She has hopes for her expedition, but none at all for us. It's a very friendly letter. Ah, sometimes friendly is harder than cold. How would you know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because he's a young man in a very wealthy aristocratic family who has been schooled to manners and courtesy and he can <laughs> mm. he's good at conversation i guess <laughs> maybe Ex- his brother dealt with it yeah true true exactly greg says and rubs his forehead the vestrits are a stiff-necked bunch the women are too damn independent for their own good so everyone has always said of veronica vestrit i've discovered the hard way that same is true of althea he gave rain a bitter grin let's hope your luck with the younger generation is better she gives little sign of that, Rain admitted ruefully, but I think that if I can win her, the battle will have been worth it. Greg shook his head and looked away. I felt the same way about Althea. I still feel that way. Somehow I'll doubt that I'll get the chance to find out. <laughs> I. He's very bitter about the uh, the letter right now. He is very bitter, but also I hate that he's like, ugh, independent women, gross. My guy. Okay, okay. Yes. It is bad to hear that, but he just had like kind of confirmation of rejection because, hear me out. I'm, I'm you, listening. You, may, you, you are about to, <laughs> you're about to go off. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, okay? Okay. I understand. And why does the devil need advocating for it? <laughs> because, because he's a character in a book and we're doing a dissection of it. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the bitterness from this rejection is a, right now, he just finished reading it. And right. he's rejected because of her independence. Yeah. So that's enough. where the source of his anger comes from. And he can direct it at that and be like, I don't have, I can't have the love of my life because she thinks she has to do this on her own and is independent. So again, I agree with you. It's kind of gross to read that <laughs> when he says that, but as a character, I can see where he's coming from. Okay. Okay. Well, I just want to say I don't like it, and it That's confirms fine. my suspicions that Greg Tanira is a nice guy. TM. Yeah, I said I mentioned that to yes, you too. Yeah. yeah, I called him a nice guy. Yeah, no, he is. Uh, I don't know. I just he's he's a traditional old trader family right now. Yes, right? he's Which, just you know that's his yeah. society. That's what he is. He's kind of our picturesque view of that. Right. Uh, his father, Tommy Tanira, is like the perfect slightly older generation old trader Mm -hmm. great trader very independent strong in his morals and his son takes after him and has the same view as the majority of bingtown right kind of the model that we are given by hob although i will say he's a little bit more progressive because he would have let althea be on the ship with him that's that's why i say that he is kind of the model that hob gives us for like the standard old town trader because right. we have extremes, you know, we have like right. the Vodra start and like the new traders and we have the extreme of like the Vestrits mm-hmm. and that's kind of like the middle, the middle, middle ground, ground right. of like, yeah, we were founded on ideals of independence and stubbornness and everything. 
And yes, we're shadowed by the patriarch, the patriarchal like women need coddling kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I can still accept that women can do jobs. You know, that's kind right. of like the right. the middle line to Nira. Yeah, <laughs> middle line to Nira. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it is just really frustrating. I think, especially because he, I think at one point said that he likes Althea because she's different from everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And then to turn around and be like, I can't believe she's so different from everybody else. It's like, <laughs> yeah. You know how different she was. I guess to show, yeah. like, we talked about this too when they were, when he was pining after her, like, yeah, I yeah. danced with you like years ago or whatever. That's, that's your basis for your love. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Good point. I didn't really know her. No. And it's really easy to have a crush on somebody you don't know and to like have a few good conversations and be like, Oh, they're the love of my life. Like, I get it. Lover boy has, heartache right now whatever it just is i think disappointing because of how much i like greg as a yeah, character yeah. and then to have him be like still oh, a little they're bit too independent for their own good yeah. even ronica <laughs> hate an <Yeah>. independent woman <laughs> like well, okay. that also that also confirms kind of uh what we haven't talked about for a while since probably mm. the first one is that Ronica was also the talk of the town for a while as being yeah. the head of a household and directing finances and things like that. Yeah, that's a good a good reminder that she is breaking roles, gender roles and societal roles just by being in charge. But she's doing it really well. And even with her husband gone, nobody is like letting her just not be in charge anymore i guess like right i mean yeah that they're allowing her to continue her role that she has chosen for herself mm-hmm. which is i think pretty big but well, no Efren told her to do it yeah She's like i, I can't mean, be bothered you do it you're better so <laughs> yeah but i think the fact that nobody was like okay well now it's kyle which right. also could be part of why <laughs> nobody is taking away her authority because Kyle's the other option. Um, but it is. Or Kefria. God forbid. <laughs> Saw forbid. Saw forbid. No, but it. Reading Greg, I think it just again underlines how he and Althea were not meant to be. They're mm-hmm. not a very good match above a superficial level. He would balance her in some ways, but it just ultimately it would have to be a different story, but they would be a perfect match in that different story. Right. You know? Exactly. If she wasn't pushing too hard against gender roles and her role in society, they would be perfect for each other, but that's not who Althea is. And that's not the book we're reading. So anyway, we just get to continue hearing Greg bemoan the fact that he was dumped again. <laughs> but uh, Greg is still on the run and he's still being looked for because he just kind of says like, I can't really tell you where I'm going, Rain. Sorry, even though you're politely asking after that and your family has shown us so much support and that's amazing. But, right. you know, secret is a secret. Right. And, you know, Rain takes that really well. Yeah. I do want to say that Greg specifically says he's staying on the Kendry until they get out to the ocean. He's mm-hmm. not going to get out at all, which right. is when Rain asks, where are you going after that? But there's no secret that he's not telling the secret where do you think he would have gone Uh, i'm not sure to be honest i think that's the weird part to me why does it need to be a secret 
unless there is a bigger plan. I mean, his dad already left. Yeah. They left long before like the Paragon, so maybe to meet up with them. Sure, but then why wouldn't Rain be able to know that he was meeting up with his dad and his family? You know what I mean? Like, So it wasn't spread about? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> secret of the secret, I guess. I guess. I don't know. I mean, he, the way that it's phrased here is he gave a friendly smile but shook his head dumbly. And then Rain's like, oh, yeah, quite right. The fewer who know, the better. So it's just like Greg probably wants to tell him because like he doesn't see the harm in it. But fewer who know, the better. You know? I, but it's like, wouldn't a pretty logical leap be he's going to meet up with his dad? That's why I yeah, feel maybe, like. but where? That's, oh, okay. He's asking where are you going, you know? I guess. Fair enough, fair enough. So. Also, where is he going? (laughs) (laughs) Rain does, uh, after Greg thanks his family for standing up with him, Rain shrugs and says, It is a time when the Rain Wilds in Bingtown must stand united or give up who and what we are. Greg stared at the ship's white-edged wake. Do you think enough of us will stand united for us to succeed? For generations, we have functioned as part of Jamalia. All of our lives are patterned as closely as possible on Jamalia City. It is not just our language and our ancestry. It is all our customs, our food, our style of dress, even our dreams for our futures. When we stand apart from that and say, we are Bingtown, what will we be really saying? Who will we be? Rain concealed his impatience. What did it matter? He tried to formulate a more political answer. I think we will simply be recognizing the reality of the last three or four generations. We are the folk of the cursed shores. We are the descendants of those brave enough to come here. They made sacrifices and we inherited their burdens. I don't resent that, but I won't share my birthright with those who will not make the same commitment. I won't cede my place to people who don't recognize what it cost us. I do feel like this is a little bit of a weird take from Greg, but maybe not. I don't just to ask what are we without Jamalia or Jamalia Bingtown like I know that Jamalia founded them or their like ancestors are from Jamalia but I just I don't know it's odd to me because I feel like Bingtown has its own very specific culture of being traders that mm. I like the fact that he as an old trader wouldn't see that as their own thing is odd to me, but maybe that's just because of my own personal bias. I don't know. I really like this paragraph and these questions from Greg, actually, because it kind of gives us more of an insight into who he is, in mm. my opinion, because we see it a little bit. He's a very thoughtful person. He's a very thoughtful character, sailor. Right. And this shows that he's actually considering the identity of their culture. Okay. Which is something that people don't do in this book besides him. Right. Really. And Rain even brushes it aside because he has other things on his mind. He's like, right. what does it matter? We're going to be who we are. <laughs> right. But Greg is like, everything that we have ever done has been heavily influenced by Jamalia. Because Malta always talks about the latest fashions from Jamalia. That, Fair that's enough, yeah. always flooding the street. And it continues like that after this trilogy too because they come to a good agreement. Right. Right. And the scales, you know, from the Mm -hmm. otherlings come out as fashion, whatever. But Greg is like, if we fully divest ourselves from Jamalia, we are our own country or whatever, we Mm -hmm. rule ourselves, 
What do we do then? Where do we go as a culture? Who do we look to? Or are we developing it ourselves? Because we always have gotten everything from Jamalia. Mm -hmm. Our next fashions, our next food trends. We trade with them and get their delicacies that are up and coming and the new expensive things. What happens to us after that? Are we still Jamalia light? Are we going to create our own thing? So that's, that's where I'm going with it, where Greg is kind of thinking on who the identity or what the identity of Bingtown will be. Yeah, sure, they have the, the trader thing and they have that. And that's part of the culture, but not like, that's more of like an attitude of who they are rather than actual pop culture okay. of a city, in my opinion. Fair enough. Like, where does their entertainment come from? Are they going to have artists flock to them to create new things? Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I guess maybe the way I was thinking about it is more like, I don't know, a lot of big cities and international cities influence the way smaller cities work and pop culture as at large. And that doesn't mean that like people in New York who follow French fashion are don't have their own unique culture. Like they still have a very distinct culture. And I guess that's not fair because New York is really big, but like France is the fashion capital of the world, right? Paris. Yeah. I I I guess Paris fashion week is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. There's a lot. New York, Paris, Milan. Yeah. So yeah. Like people taking inspiration from that or following those trends all over the world doesn't make them Paris light, you know? Right. But you have to, you have to think about in terms of modern day, it is so much more accessible to take those ideas or whatever. If you're in a, an era with one ship or like a couple ships every couple months, you know, whatever. Right. And you bring over those things, that is a dominating trend for a long time. Right. You know, that's. I mean, but that's. But even if you think about like colonial times Mm -hmm. and like in America, when when we became independent, I'm sure we were still influenced by British fashion and fashion happening in Europe whenever it would get to us months later. But it's an interesting topic because maybe I'm sure it's probably divisive back then, too, but. There were probably people who, after we declared independence, thought that you were a traitor if you were dressing in British fashion. Maybe. So like, yeah, you know, there, there's probably nuances to those things. And I think Greg is just kind of wondering what's going to come about of all of these little things in our culture, our That's city. Fair. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I think maybe this is just one of those things that doesn't resonate with me as somebody who... I don't know. I feel like I have a very strong belief in every little pocket of people has their own culture and really contributes to society in that way. Like it's a personal belief. And so I'm just kind of like, well, what do you mean you guys don't have like, yeah, you're (laughs) influenced by them. That doesn't mean you're an exact copy. I don't know. So I think it's just like also coming from that where I'm reading this as like, come on Greg like have you lived in your town ever and you've been to Jamalia you know they're different but I don't know so I think that's where I'm coming from where I'm like that doesn't make sense I don't like this but I hearing your point of view it makes more sense of that more underlying question of there's a big change happening and what happens after Mm -hmm. that I 
I don't think was getting just from my own personal read. Yeah. He even says, uh, even our dreams for our futures come from Jamalia. Like yeah. what happens then? You know, like if we divest from Jamalia, are those dreams no longer good because that's, that was the evil that we left from or like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I yeah, think that's it's a good point. Big change for the future. He doesn't really know what's going to happen. And rain is just like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> who cares? Stop talking about that. <laughs> you know, I won't share, uh, my birthright with those who will not make the same commitment as our ancestors did, blah, 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 right. blah. And he glances at Greg after that speech, expecting him to agree, agree easily. Instead, the man only looked troubled. In a low voice, as if ashamed of the thought, Greg asked him, Have you never thought of just kicking it all over and running away? For a moment, Rain just stared at him through his veil. Then he observed wryly, Obviously, you've forgotten whom you are speaking to. Greg gave a lopsided shrug. I've heard you could pass if you wanted to. As for me, sometimes when I'm away from my ship for a while, I find myself wondering, what holds me here? Why do I stay in Bingtown? Why must I be all a traitor's son must be? Some folk have kicked over the traces. Rash and Trell, for instance. Before we get into that, I wanted to point out, when I'm away from my ship for a while... I start wondering. Yeah, I know. Why do I have to be I have that here? highlighted too. Yeah. <laughs> what holds um, me here? <laughs> so this again points to that two-way. Mm-hmm. It's not bond. just the ships who are held there, right? And are solely slaves of the family that comes aboard them. The families themselves are influenced to take that tradition and be a part of that family and do that mm-hmm. exact same thing. Exactly. And we have talked about this through Wintrow's point of view because Wintrow talked about how he's talked a lot about how whenever he goes off of Vivacia, he feels like his head clears and he doesn't understand why he is so obsessed with her. Right. And then he comes back and it gets cloudy again. And there's just that loyalty that is there. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about that a little bit. And I think we were wondering how much of that is Wintrow <laughs> and it, and Vivacia reaching for him and how much of that is just live ship and how they work. And I feel like this is a really good example of maybe it is the live ship influencing the families. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a fun little, fun little thing that Hob did there. And it also could be, you know, more, most likely, I think it's the generations that have gone into the live ship that are kind of using their influence on their future family member, you know, sure, their yeah. descendants, because that is the live ship's personality and influence. It's like a culmination of all their family together being like, you are a traitor, son, <laughs> sail us. It could be something to do, too, with the like blood aspect, because that yeah. seems to be really important. Mm-hmm. The bloodline, that calling, connection. yeah, like to like and all that. Yeah. yeah, it's a very similar thought process that Vivacia and Paragon went through, you know, years and years ago for right. Paragon. But Vivacia went through is just like, when Wintro was away for a while, I got to thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. So anyway, we can go back to the rest of the stuff, which is now Greg Greg is bringing up up Brashen. Yeah. We get uh, Greg's point of view here is just like Brashen, you know, kicked off all traces and left. Yeah. Which also I just want to say I was 
so hype to read this part because I think it's really exciting to get a sort of third party view of Brashen. And we've we've gotten it from Greg before mm-hmm. where he is upset because Brashen is, you know, close with Althea and we right. get it in this too that he thinks that Brashen took advantage of Althea. Right. And he's been warned about Brashen but doesn't really know him. Right. But in this context, yeah, it's almost almost truly unbiased third person. <laughs> yeah, I think what I like more about this take is it's not connected to Althea's honor. Right. And so right. it's nice to get that point of view in a way that he's not being influenced to say this because it's a girl in front of him and he needs to protect her. This is to somebody he sees as an equal partner who can know all of the little details that he knows. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important and it's really cool. They get to see how probably most of the traders view Brashin, at least the people in his age bracket, whether or not they know him. Yeah. So rain says, I don't believe I know him. No, you wouldn't, and you never will. His family disowned him for his wild ways. When I heard about that, I halfway expected him to die from it. But he didn't. He comes and goes as he pleases. He lives where he wants, sails where the wind blows him. He's free. Is he happy? He's with Althea, Greg shook his head. Somehow the family picked him to captain the Paragon for them, and they entrusted him with Althea. From what I've heard of Althea, she needs no man's protection. She would agree with that, Greg sighed. I don't. I think Trell has deceived her in the past, and may again. It eats at me. But do I rush off to find her and bring her back? Did I leap in and say, I'll go, I'll captain your mad ship for you so long as I can be with you? No. I didn't. And Trell did. And that's another difference between us. I... (sighs) I, first of all, cannot forgive Greg for making me be on Rain's side of a conversation, (laughs) first and foremost. But second of all, really don't like this side of Greg. I think it's really important that Greg is kind of idealizing and maybe idolizing a little bit Brashen and Brashen's life. Oh, definitely, because he's free and it's no problem. He gets to do whatever he wants. He's so happy, which is hilarious. Well, he doesn't say that he's happy. He just says he's with Althea. Yeah. mm. (laughs) Implied (laughs) that that should make him happy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, but I, I think it is really apt of Rain to ask well, is he happy? Because it doesn't really matter if you're free, if you're Mm -hmm. not happy, right? And that's the important part. We know Brashen's miserable. and Most of the time, at least. Most of the time. He's miserable and he's struggling with addiction and he really doesn't feel like he has his life together. I think when he was under Vivacia, he was the first mate on Vivacia, things were different. And maybe then you could say he's free and happy or whatever, which even then, I guess, are you really free if you have a stable job? (laughs) But this whole idealization from Greg of, wow, he just gets to do whatever he wants and his life is so great. And he got the girl and I'm being a proper trader son. And what do I have? It's like, okay, cry me a river. (laughs) Also, I don't know. I don't feel like Althea can take care of herself. Not what you told her, but cool. Ugh. He's also really hard on himself in this too. Yeah. And very self-critical and still, I I think he feels cowardly. Yeah. 
because he didn't volunteer himself. He didn't, right. he probably feels self-centered a bit of just like, I didn't do anything that Brashen did mm-hmm. because I'm protecting myself here and he's with Althea. So why couldn't I do that? Right. I think I appreciate him for admitting there were things that he could have done if he really wanted Althea yeah. and he didn't. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit misplaced and I don't think it was cowardly of him personally. No, I, I don't think, think it was so more, either. it just didn't align with his, his goals mm-hmm. or his wants and needs, which is not nice to Althea, but it's not bad. It's not inherently wrong or evil to mm-hmm. have unaligned views and goals. That's, normal people all the time have different goals i think it's hard here because he's equating brash and being there for althea with the reason althea is with him and that's i guess maybe partially correct but i don't think that's all of it i think oh no of course not. there's definitely a deeper connection there and he does sort of try to play this whole it's all Brashen's doing, Brashen is forcing himself into the or forcing himself on Althea, and she's just this helpful woman, a helpless woman who has no choice but to choose him because he's there. Whereas it's not that at all. And mm-hmm. so that's also very frustrating to read. Rain scratched at the back of his neck. Was something growing there? Ew. <laughs> Says, I think you make a fault of what is actually a virtue, Greg. You know your duty, and you are doing it. It isn't your fault if Althea can't appreciate that. That's just the trouble, Greg says. She does. She praised me for it and wished me well. She said she admires me. That's a poor substitute for love. Rain could think of nothing to say to that. Greg sighs and kind of calls it a day. He's like, well, you know, no point in dwelling on any of that now. If it comes to war with the satrap, it will come soon enough. Either Althea will come back to me or she won't. It seems there is little I can do about my life. I'm like a leaf caught in a current. He shook his head and grinned in embarrassment at his own melancholy words. I'm going forward to talk to Kendry for a while. You coming? No, Rain says. And then he adds, I think I've, I've got some thinking of my own to do. Oh, morose Greg. Heartbroken boy. <sighs> yeah. Also, back to not liking Rain, so thanks, I guess. <laughs> to greg he's comforting his boy you he know? is you know like oh she can't see that you're one in a million that's on her which fair i think we've all been there for a friend who is going through a breakup and you're like they don't they're horrible they don't deserve you you're amazing you're it's just doing loss. your job and it's her fault if she can't see it uh-huh uh-huh it just so happens that i personally like althea more than i like greg so i'm kind of <laughs> like yeah okay he is not he is the one in loss he is right um <laughs> But no, it's it is a sweet little interaction where Rain's trying. And I think it's interesting that they have gotten somewhat close in kind of a short amount of time. Again, we're somewhat it's close. A hob yeah. book time is relative. We don't really know how long anything is. I guess I don't really know. But last time we saw them they hadn't even met or had seen rain. They had not even met yet in a capacity where they were talking and now they're comforting each other on their woes. So a lot has happened in a short amount of time. And 
also much more has happened that is outside of rain and Greg's relationship. And that has to do with the dragons and mm-hmm. Detanglia. Yeah, but we will have to get to that in the next episode, I think. It's a decent place to stop, right in the middle of Rain's point of view here. <laughs> got a bit to finish up the chapter, but we got a lot to talk about yet. So yeah. we'll kind of leave it at the interpersonal issues and the, as the title states, the convergence on Bingtown here <laughs> with all of the Chalcedian ships with Cirilla and the Satrap coming in and Ronica, Kefri and Malta, all thinking it's a battle right (laughs) well i guess we'll end it there if you uh have any thoughts you want to mention to us any theories any you know maybe thoughts about rain and and greg's (laughs) conversation here maybe some greg hate mail you'd want to send in (laughs) yeah emma will love to read that so please let us know it is fitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly on any of our social medias Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or you can comment on any of the posts that we post on any of those as well. Oh, also threads. Forgot to mention that one. Yes. So, yeah, go to our website. We have uh, a link tree on there. Uh, rate, review us. We appreciate all of those. Share it with your friends, your family, anyone who has read the books. And we look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.